Welcome. We're glad you're here to join us at Waterstone. When God's Son, Jesus Christ, became one of us, His rule and reign broke into history in a new and unprecedented way through His life of love. Jesus lived to tirelessly benefit others. Just before He returned to His Father, He said, My command is this, love each other as I loved you. So the mission, the yearning of Waterstone, is to live for others so that others see Jesus. We're so glad that you're here and encourage you to attend in person if you're able. Our weekend services are on Saturday at 5.30 and Sunday at 9 and 10.30. We'll be looking at a passage from 2 Kings today. I first found this passage when I was writing seminar lessons for the pastor training seminars. I needed a biblical example of prayer transforming a person's life. And at first glance, it didn't really seem like this was a passage about prayer. But as I looked at it, it kept pulling on me. And I realized that the prayers that are spoken in this passage are really central to the whole way that this passage unfolds. And the Holy Spirit was telling me, yes, this is the perfect passage for this purpose. And so then I began to think through, how can I teach this passage to Cambodian pastors in a way that would be edifying to them? And so I tried practicing the short but powerful prayer that I found in these verses. And what I never could have known when I started was that this prayer, more than any other in this season of life, was going to convict me and transform me and the way that I see the world around me. And so today I want to share this prayer with you. First, I hope that it can encourage you that this would be a prayer that you could use to encourage uh, and empower you in your walk. But also, I hope that you can realize that I learned of this passage through writing these seminars. And so by listening and participating in this sermon today, you are also participating in the work that we are doing in Cambodia. So our passage this morning is 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. And it's in this larger section of 2 Kings that narrates the ministry of the prophet Elisha. So let's start by reading in verses 8 through 14. So 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 14. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, that is Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. And so the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. And time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Well, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Well, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. We'll pause there. So the king of Aram, Aram's in present-day Syria, which is uh, just north of Israel, was at war with Israel, and the Aramean army would plan an attack, and God would tell Elisha about those plans, and Elisha would tell the king of Israel about those plans, and they would be thwarted. Now the king of Aram finally catches on that something's not right, but first he thinks he has a mole within his ranks, but then he comes to learn that it's actually the prophet Elisha who's foiling all of his battle plans. So he gathers an army to go attack Elisha. Now Maybe the king has forgotten that Elisha can hear into the king's own bedroom, or he's just hoping Elisha's got his walkie-talkie turned off that day. But nonetheless, overnight, the Aramean army surrounds Dothan, which is the town that Elisha is in. And the first person to notice that 
is Elisha's servant. And so let's read how Elisha's servant responds to all of this and what Elisha's going to do. It's verses 15 through 17. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. We'll stop there. So when the servant starts doing his chores outside the house, he sees a mighty army with horses and chariots surrounding the city, and his response is fear. Oh no, what shall we do? Which I find to be very relatable. And Elisha responds, don't be afraid. I'd be thinking, great, I love not being afraid. Tell me more. And Elisha responds, well, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I did a quick fact check on that, and I'm going to keep being afraid now. But Elisha prays for his servant, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. In this passage, sight has a double meaning. The first is physical sight. The servant can, can suddenly see God's army with fiery horses and chariots surrounding the city. But Elisha also wants his servant to have spiritual sight, a perception of what God is doing around them. See, it's, it's one thing to see with your eyes that there's a, a larger and flamier army surrounding you and defending you from the first army, but it's another thing to realize that God had this situation under control the entire time, that even as the armies of the enemy gathered silently in the night with a plan for destruction, so God has been putting all the pieces in place for a plan of salvation. The servant finds himself in the middle of a problem that seems utterly unfixable, but Elisha's prayer enabled him to see an even bigger army, yes, but even more so, it opened his eyes to the God who was behind that army, the God who decided that on this day, good things were going to come out of bad intentions. Good things are going to come out of bad intentions. I want you to hang on to that phrase for just a moment while I point out an interesting detail in this passage. Verse 13 says that Elisha was in Dothan during this time. Now, Dothan is mentioned only one other time in the Bible. In Genesis 37, verse 17, a 17-year-old boy named Joseph asks where his brothers have gone and is told that he can find them at Dothan. He goes there, not knowing that when he arrives, those brothers he's been looking for will betray him, ambush him, and traffic him to Egypt, where he will spend the next 13 or so years in slavery and in prison. The worst day of Joseph's life happens in Dothan, but it is the first step in a necessary chain of events that God is going to use to elevate him to leader of Egypt. See, even on this darkest of days, God was putting the pieces in place to enact a plan of salvation. God was bringing good things out of bad intentions. And just like Joseph, Elisha, and the servant, when we find ourselves in Dothan, God is able to bring good things out of bad intentions and dark days. Now, we might have to wait until morning. We might have to wait decades. But I believe that God is there working around us in ways we cannot yet perceive to bring about a plan of redemption. And so may we pray, Lord, open our eyes. These last two years, I've had to confront just how much I worry. Now, to be fair, there has been a lot to worry about, but it's not always been in productive ways that I've been, that I've been doing it. I've, I've learned to compare myself to one of those uh, souvenir penny press machines. Do you know the ones I'm talking about? 
if you've never heard of them, if you've never used one, here's how it works. You take some money that is useful for buying things and you put it into the machine and the machine has a special roller which squeezes all of that usefulness right out of it and then gives it back to you. Which you may think, not a good trade-off, but it's an oval now, so that's pretty cool. And, you know, you can get the whole collector set. <laughs> now, similarly, I like to take one of my worries. I like to put a lot of my useful, productive energy into it. I like to lose all of that useful, productive energy and get my worries back longer than they were before. And apparently I have no regrets. Can't wait to do it all over again and get the whole collector set. I'm going to tell you a story about where I had to confront a lot of my worry. On March 14th, 2020, March 2020 will you know, forever go down in infamy when we finally realized, oh, this was going to be a pandemic. We heard that in three days, the Cambodian government would suspend all entry into the country for U.S. citizens. Now, the kind of visa that we had required us to hop across the border, then come right back in to reset our visa. But we were planning on doing that in the future. But all of a sudden, we had three days to do it. So the next day, and I do not like planning trips for the next day, but the next day we drove seven hours to the border with Thailand. It was our first road trip with our nine-month-old who did not sleep the entire way on unfamiliar Cambodian mountain roads. And just when I started thinking, okay, maybe this is going to be okay, our car starts making loud noises. I start to panic. I'm, I'm going to die up here on this mountain. Until Lauren reminded us, we need to pray about this. Okay, so we prayed. We coasted into the nearest town. And we found a mechanic who fixed the problem for $5. God provided. When we got to the border, we planned to cross into Thailand, do the hokey pokey, then just cross directly back into Cambodia. That's what we had been told we could do. But when we got into that no man's land between the two countries, we were told, no, actually, you need to spend the night in Thailand before you can come back and reset your visa. We didn't have formula. We didn't have diapers. We didn't have the things we needed in order to do that. And so I start panicking. I'm going to die right here in this no man's land. Then I wait, wait. Remember this lesson that God had been teaching me with the car thing earlier. So we prayed, put on our nicest smiles, showed off our cute baby, wheeled and dealed, and we were let back into Cambodia with our visa reset. God provided. The next day, we got ready to head back to our home in Phnom Penh, and guess what? The car wouldn't start, because of course the car wasn't going to start. So my hand goes straight to my pocket, get that little worry penny out, but my reflexes were starting to get stronger. This time, I remembered pretty quickly, no, wait, I'm supposed to start praying now. And you know what? The car came right back to life. God provided. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that a short prayer can magically fix your problems. But I do believe that God used this trip to continue hammering home a lesson that I needed to learn. When there are many reasons to start worrying, God wants us to turn that worry into prayer. There is something that God was doing in me, and there are things that God wants to do through me but I can't see all of that until God opens my eyes. And often God will not open my eyes to it until I pray. As we have lived in a developing country during a pandemic, as we've been called into ministry opportunities that we felt wildly unprepared to do, as we faced interpersonal issues and conflicts that could have brought our ministry to an end, as we navigated a pregnancy that had had a number of complications because all of our most trusted doctors were not in the country anymore, God has been telling us, turn your worry into prayer. And on those dark days when we had absolutely nothing left of our own strength to give, we prayed, God, open our eyes. And each and every time, God taught us how to trust even more. 
And so I hope that you too are encouraged by the example of Elisha's servant. This prayer, it doesn't negate our problems. It doesn't say that they're not real or not painful, that they're automatically going away because you pray. It's just saying, God, I believe that these problems are not the full story. Help me to see how you are bringing redemption from pain and loss. And when you feel worry or pain, whether it's small or overwhelming, you can start with the prayer, Lord, open my eyes. All right, so now Elisha's got his servant all sorted. Now it's time to look and face down this army that has surrounded them. So let's read verses 18 through 20. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. So as we pick the story back up, the Aramean army starts to make their move on Elisha. And as they do so, Elisha prays, strike this army with blindness, which is the exact opposite of the prayer. He had just prayed for his servant. Now, instead of praying, open their eyes, he's saying, Lord, close their eyes. And when Elisha prays, they are blinded. And in that moment, all of the weapons and the horses and the chariots that the army had been trusting in are rendered useless. In fact, Elisha, the man they were trying to capture, is able to single-handedly lead this entire army to Samaria, which is the capital of Israel, the, the country that they are at war with. Samaria is 12 miles away from Dothan. That is a long walk. You can imagine these people saying, wow, we were so far off. Thank goodness this guy's here. And willingly, they walk into the capital city of the enemy. You see, when, when faced with God's power, all of their weapons and military might is like nothing. And in this case, a single man with a strong prayer life is able to gently guide them into the most dangerous spot on earth. And then right when they're in the heart of the city, Elisha prays for them, Lord, open their eyes so that they may see. And the Bible says the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. Like, oh, wow, this is awkward. This is a funny story. To fully understand what's going on, we must recognize that when Elisha prays, Lord, open their eyes, it's an echo of the prayer that he had prayed for his servant just a few verses ago. And I think that the author of the passage is using that repetition in order to highlight this specific prayer and invites us to compare the two times where it's used. So first, just as with the servant, when Elisha prays, open their eyes, the first thing we noticed is that they can physically see something they couldn't see before, which is that there they were inside Samaria. But also like the servant, they are now able to perceive a spiritual reality that they couldn't perceive before, which is that all of their weapons and horses and chariots are no match for the power of Elisha's God. But I want to take the comparison between the servant and the army just a little bit deeper. See, the servant and the army, they seem like they're opposites. The servant starts off having a very bad day that gets better when Elisha prays, and the army starts off having a very good day that gets worse when Elisha prays. But there's one very important way in which they are the same. You see, the servant knows that he is doomed because all he sees are swords and horses and chariots. And the army knows that they're going to win because all they can see are swords and horses and chariots. The thing they have in common is that all they can see is worldly might, is human strength. We call this pride, which is trusting in the things of the world more than the power of God. You see, the army, they're very clearly trusted in their weapons, but the servant also very clearly trusted in their weapons. He just happened not to be holding any, and so that manifested as despair. 
But neither the servant nor the army sees this situation as an opportunity for prayer. Both need to experience transformation. And even though the pride of the servant and the pride of the army present in very different ways, Elisha prays the same prayer for them, which is, Lord, open their eyes. See, the antidote to pride is seeing God, who is in fact more powerful than our circumstances, more powerful than all of those things that we place our trust in each day. And so when we pray, open our eyes, we are acknowledging that there may be things we are holding on to that may seem important, but are actually taking us further from trusting in God. One day, my daughter brought this toy to me. It had these two pieces that are supposed to clip together, and she couldn't do it, so she says, Daddy, fix it. And so I reach for it, but then she pulls back and wants to keep playing with it, and so I try to fix it while she's holding it, but she's wiggling around, and I can't fix it. And I say, Chloe, Daddy can't fix this until you let go of it. And at that moment, I hear God saying, David, there are problems you can't fix that I can't fix in your life until you let go of it. Wham. And being a parent is the worst. Just just makes you say all of these things that are actually just lessons that you're supposed to learn. When we develop a habit of praying, God, open my eyes, then God begins to use these little everyday things to show you the ways that he's working in your life. We start to see the ways that God is working, not against us, but against the pride, against the things that we are holding on to, that we hold on to so that we don't have to trust in God as much as we would if we were fully surrendered. I'll share one example of how I had to learn this lesson. First, <clears throat> how I learned it the easier way, and second, how I learned it the harder way. <clears throat> Last January, I taught the first of our pastor training seminar lessons. This was my first time to teach for a group of about 40 Cambodian pastors and church leaders, all in the Cambodian language. I was so excited because this was my calling. This was the thing that I had gone there to do. But I was also terrified because what if I don't have it in me to do it? This is really hard. This is actually more work than I thought it was going to be. And I felt like there was truly no way I could do this in my own power. And so what did I do? I prayed a lot. And I had people praying for me and I had people praying with me. And there's just this, I was forced to rely on God's strength each day, right up until the very moment that I stepped up to preach. And it was this intimate and beautiful <clears throat> and wonderful experience. And the lesson itself wasn't perfect. There was a lot to improve on there, but this whole experience just felt right. Like I am walking with God through this thing. Now, before the February lesson rolled around, we had a new wave of COVID cases and lockdowns. And we weren't able to travel to the province to do this ministry. I said, well, this is not ideal, but at least it gives me a little bit more time to craft these lessons with this little nuance or that extra flourish. And I can really do these lessons like I like to do it. But I kept getting stuck. So I tried harder and then I got stuck again. So then I said, oh, I'm really gonna buckle up and push through this time. And I got stuck again and I started to really be like, what is wrong? Am I broken? Why can't I do this? And so one day I just prayed, Lord, open my eyes. What is going on? And what I heard back was that I was relying on my own strength for this. My pride in my own abilities and my intellect and my creativity was getting in the way of what God wanted to do. And I wasn't surrendering this effort to God. And so I finally let go. And God was pointing me to other things that he wanted me to be working on or work on this, but in a different way. And I found so much freedom in looking where God wanted me to look. And so as you pray, Lord, open my eyes. Be open to God showing you how he is wanting to free you from the worldly strength that you are holding on to instead of trusting him. You see, trusting in our own strength, especially if we've worked long and hard to amass quite a bit of worldly strength, seems like the obvious thing to do. 
But let's learn the lesson that the soldiers had to learn, which is that trusting in those things leaves us far more vulnerable than we could ever imagine. So I encourage you to pray, Lord, open my eyes. And so the example of the Aramean army teaches us to ask God to open our eyes to the things that we trust in more than God's power. All right, so we've taken a closer look at the two groups of people that Elisha prayed for, the servant and the army. Now I want to take a closer look at Elisha, the one who prayed, and see what we can learn from him. Let's finish the story out. Verses 21 through 24 through 23. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, this is the army that's in his city, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father, shall I kill them? No, do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So the king prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. And so the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. What we see in this passage is that Elisha's eyes have been opened this whole time. He sees God working in the situation even when others don't. He knows the plans of the Arameans. He knows that heaven's army is also present. And in the end, he knows better than the king of Israel how to resolve this situation. You see, if the king of Israel had killed all of those soldiers while they were inside of his walls, then the king of Aram would have to retaliate. But Elisha knows that if the king feeds them and lets them go, well, now this sends a very different and much more powerful message about the God that they are dealing with. And because of this, there's peace between Israel and Aram. Now, how does Elisha have this level of spiritual perception? Well, here's what we know. When the servant is afraid, what does Elisha do? He prays for him. When the army attacks, what does Elisha do? He prays for them. When other people's instinct is to trust in worldly strength, Elisha's instinct is to pray. And how do you get to the place where your instinct is always to pray? Well, I think that the only way that can happen is by developing a habit of abiding with God through prayer. And when Elisha has this habit of abiding with God through prayer, then when he prays, the Lord's fiery armies are revealed. And when he prays, armies are routed, not by a bloodbath, but by willingly following a stranger. And when he prays, peace comes to war. And when he prays the simple prayer, Lord, open their eyes, whole nations are shaken. Now, I'm not saying that our lives are going to look exactly like Elisha's if we pray. I'm just saying that there is power that comes from abiding with God through prayer. And maybe that power will be dramatic and theatrical like the Old Testament prophets. Maybe it will be what the Apostle Paul calls peace that transcends all understanding. Maybe something entirely different, but there is power when we pray. So in this season, I have been starting my prayer times with this little phrase, Lord, open my eyes today. And then I'll reflect on some problems that are worrying me and ask how God might be working in those problems. And then I'll pray, then I'll pray, Lord, open my eyes to the pride or the strength that you are wanting to let wanting me to let go of. And then I pray for the grace to resist that and, and embrace humility. Sometimes I'll pray this prayer over very specific circumstances, or sometimes I'll pray it, I'll pray, Lord, open my eyes to the things I don't yet know I'm supposed to be praying for. This prayer has helped me see my way through problems that I thought had no resolution. It has revealed pride to me that has been tripping me up for a long time. It has softened my heart toward people that I considered enemies. And it gives me a way of starting when I don't know what else to say. And so I wanted to share this passage with you so that I could share this prayer with you. It's a short, but I have found it to be powerful prayer. And if it would be encouraging and edifying to you in this season of life, as it has been in mine, then I would encourage you to use it. 
I encourage you to pray it for yourself. Pray that God would open your eyes to his working in your life so that you could develop an increasing intimacy with him. Pray for the hurting, for those who feel overwhelmed by the problems of life, that they would get the privilege of seeing God working in that situation. And just a side note on that, when you do pray for those who are hurting or those who are having problems, recognize, just as Elisha did, that it may also be your job to lead the danger away from that person and protect them. Pray for your enemies, that their eyes would be opened, and pray that God would reveal to you when it is time to throw your enemies a feast. And here's an application I didn't even think of when I originally wrote this, but I got to preach this sermon last month at another church, and someone who'd been a Christian a long time came and told me later, actually right now, not many people know this, but I'm not so sure about God and faith. I'm, I'm just having a lot of doubts and questions, and I'm really finding it hard to pray. But Lord, open my eyes. That's a prayer like I feel like I can honestly say in the midst of my doubts right now. So if you are having doubts or a crisis of faith, Perhaps this can be a useful prayer for you to use to engage with that. And finally, maybe you just have no other words to say. You don't even know how to begin praying. Try this. It has helped me many times in that exact situation. There is power in prayer. Elisha shook nations to their foundations by praying, Lord, open their eyes. What might God want to do through us if we would have our eyes opened as well? As I start to wrap up, I want to look beyond the personal applications of this prayer and start to talk about the global and, and, and missional implications. I want to tell you about the pastor's monthly prayer meeting in Cambodia's Kampot province. This is where we were hoping to really focus in this last season of ministry with the seminars and, and some other partnerships. Um, and our goal was to bless and encourage this group through our training seminars, but in those times that we were able to attend, they blessed and encouraged us far more. Fittingly for our topic today, one of the first testimonies I heard when I attended was a young leader whose eyes were going blind. Now, after much prayer, his eyes stopped getting worse, but the thing he really wanted to testify about that day was that more than saving his physical sight, he gained the spiritual insight of trusting in God during scary times. I heard other stories in which spiritual eyes were opened. Many pastors asked God to open their eyes and were told to be evangelists in villages throughout the province. One small group decided to lead Bible studies in the local prison. In fact, one of those prison ministry leaders had a student released and she brought him to my seminar. I think of the young student who wanted to go to dentist school so that he could be a blessing to his community. And I think of, of Kong Yu, the leader of this group of pastors and leaders. You can see her here leading a Bible study and talking to an elderly church member who is constantly praying, God, open my eyes to you today. And she has started an orphanage, a prison ministry, a pastor prayer meeting, evangelisms, church planning, food distributions, Bible studies, leadership development, and she funds it all with a farm that she started just for that purpose. And if we zoom out just a bit, isn't it amazing that some pastors and leaders in a small province of southern Cambodia, which is in its own tucked away little corner of the globe, started praying that God would open their eyes and lives are being transformed. If you think of Cambodia at all, then you probably think of war and destruction and cruelty and hopelessness, but God began opening people's eyes to a different story. God said, these were not to be the final word for Cambodia. God said, now is the time when I will start to bring good things out of bad intentions. And as people began to see what God might be up to in Cambodia and join in with that vision, lives are being transformed. And I get the privilege to be some small part of that work. 
And by partnering with us, you too are joining in with God's mission in Cambodia and elsewhere around the world. You join in with that mission when you financially support missionaries through the church and through direct relationships with missionaries. You join in with that mission when you pray for us and when you send us an encouraging email. Those prayers and emails have sustained us through difficult times. You join in with that mission when you attend Perspectives, which I hear many of you did this last year. When you, when you support a medical clinic in Guinea, when you encourage those who have helped develop a, an oral translation of the Bible for the Dungan people in Central Asia. Waterstone, you have been bold and faithful to participate in God's mission in this. But I also believe that God is calling all of us into an even deeper participation in that mission. And so I remind you that you join in God's mission when you pray, Lord, open my eyes to the other ways that you are at work in me and around the world. And so I hope that you can be encouraged by what God has been doing in our hearts and through our bumbling efforts in Cambodia. But even more so, I hope that you will open your hearts to God and pray for yourselves and for others. Lord, open our eyes. This morning, uh, as we conclude, I thought it would be fitting if we practiced using this prayer together as a congregation. And so what I'll do is I'll give a few prayer prompts uh, and then a few moments after each one to think about a situation in your life that applies to that and then use the prayer, Lord, open my eyes. You can adopt whatever posture of prayer is meaningful for you in this time. Um, at the end, I'll close with a prayer and then the worship team is going to lead us in a song. But if during that time, God begins to open your eyes, God begins to engage with you on one of those prayer things that, that, that we're praying together, then don't worry about that, my prayer, don't worry about the song. You keep going with that. You keep engaging with God. You ask God, open my eyes in this time. So let's join together in prayer. I want you to think about a situation that feels painful, fearful, or hopeless, and pray, Lord, open my eyes to where you are in that situation. Pray, Lord, open my eyes to any pride or earthly strength that I am holding on to instead of trusting you. of somebody whom you might consider an enemy. Pray, Lord, open my eyes and open their eyes until we can find a godly way through this. Pray, Lord, open my eyes to how you want to use me in your global mission.
pray, Lord, open my eyes to the things I don't yet know to be praying for. Lord, open our eyes today. We need you to open our spiritual eyes. We cannot do it in our own power. Remind us to turn our worry into prayer. Remind us to turn our pride into prayer. Remind us to turn our lives into prayer. Open our eyes to the ways that you are working in us, through us, and around us so that we can join in with that, so that we can experience transformation, so that we can give all of our lives to you every day. Pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, who, uh, whose death and resurrection enables our eyes to be opened. Amen.